But what Scripture is teaching us here, that one day the restraining force will be removed and there'll be no longer this limited power. And for seven years, there is going to be literally hell on this earth. And if many in the world thinks things are bad now, they ain't seen nothing yet. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And we'll go ahead and read from 6 through 12. And it says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So three things that the Lord gave us, and we gave you two last week, and now you have the third. The first being the falling away needed to come first, the revelation of the man of sin. But before the man of sin is revealed, we find that the restrainer that's mentioned in verse 6 and also in verse 8, the restrainer has to be taken out, taken out of the way. And so the question is, who is this restrainer? And that's what we want to look at a little bit more today and also look into the man of sin. And I want to ask the Lord to bless this time of teaching. And Father, we've read your word in context now. We've looked at it. Now, Lord, as we break it down, we pray that you don't allow me to take anything out of context, but, Lord, that we would open our eyes, you'd open our eyes, Lord, to see the truths that are hidden there, the gems, Lord, that we can take home today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we learned last week, in verse 1, Paul tells us, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken or in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So three things that the Lord gave us, the first being the falling away needed to come first, the revelation of the man of sin. But before the man of sin is revealed, we find that the restrainer 
that's mentioned in verse 6 and also in verse 8, the restrainer has to be taken out, taken out of the way. And so the question is, who is this restrainer? And that's what we want to look at a little bit more today and also look into the man of sin. It says now in verse 6, you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. And in verse 7, he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Is that Satan is under God's control. Satan would love to be over God. He attempted to do so. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 speak about this. But Satan is under God's control. And Satan can only do what God allows him to do. The story of Job. We have Satan coming before the Lord in Job chapter 1. And the Lord saying to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And Satan returned back to God and said, Yeah, you've built this hedge of protection around him. Take down that hedge of protection. Let me get at him, and he'll curse you to the face. And the Lord said, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so in the story of Job, we see that Satan had limited power in regards to what he could do to Job. Satan has limited power today in this day and age that we live in. But what scripture is teaching us here that one day the restraining force will be removed and there'll be no longer this limited power. And for seven years, there is going to be literally hell on this earth. And if many in the world thinks things are bad now, they ain't seen nothing yet. That he may be revealed in his own time. Paul, in Acts 17.31, talking to the crowd on Mars Hill, said that God has appointed a day. Now there he's referring to Jesus coming to judge the world in righteousness. But just as God has appointed a day for the coming of Jesus, there is also a point of day when the revelation of the Antichrist will take place. That he will come in his own time. And it's the time which God ordained. Again, remember that it's in God's control. Ultimately, as we know, God wins. As frightening and as mysterious as this may seem to us. And in verse 7, it talks about the mystery. It says, for the mystery of the lawless one is already at work. It describes him as a mystery, there are things that we don't understand surrounding the coming of the Antichrist. Many things have been given to us in Scripture, but there are certain things that have been held back. I believe one of the reasons the Lord has done this is because if everything would be revealed, then those who, as we later on get to in verses 10 and 12, referring to those who did not believe the love of the truth, that they might be saved, those who had pleasure in unrighteousness, that they would be condemned. If everything would have been revealed, it would be no secret, no surprise, no mystery. But the Lord has given us much. The Antichrist was revealed to Daniel. Now, as the Lord revealed these events to Daniel, he said, seal up the book. It's not for your time. But I believe that seal has been taken off the book and that it is for our time today. But in Daniel 9, 26 and 27, it speaks about that seven-year period saying, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come, referring to the Antichrist, one of the titles given him here, the people of the prince who is to come, 
shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it will be with the flood, until the end of the war of desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That one week refers to seven years. He'll refer to a covenant for many for one week, and he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offerings and on the wings of the abomination. Abominations shall one who makes desolate. Jesus explains a little bit of this and refers back to this. And so Jesus prophesied also about the Antichrist's coming. In John 14, 30, he said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But the ruler of this world, maybe more directly to what was coming, the crucifixion of Christ, Satan was coming to make that attempt to kill Christ and to keep him in the grave, but he has nothing in me. But also the ruler of this world is coming, speaking of the Antichrist, speaking of Satan himself. And in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus said, Therefore you see that the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, when you see it standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise, show great signs and wonders, and deceive, if possible, even the elect. And so John said, we've had many antichrists, but John also says the Antichrist is coming. Jesus said, many false Christs, many false prophets will arise, but the ruler of this world is coming. Paul expounded upon it, and we looked at this last week in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes himself and exalts himself above all that is called God, for that is worship, that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is uh, one of the strong verses that we use to point to Israel, saying that they have to rebuild the temple one more time. Because the Antichrist has to come into that place. He makes the covenant with the people, meaning Israel, for seven weeks or seven years. In that covenant, preceding it or during it, they rebuild their temple. They say now that they could, in a three- to four-month period, have a temple built and worship taking place, offering the sacrifices and everything, just like in the Old Testament. It wouldn't take that long. Perhaps it wouldn't be the finished work, but they are already preparing for it there in Israel. That's a lot of the trouble that began in 2000 over in Israel was the account of the preparation for the building of the temple and bringing the two cornerstones on a certain day in October to Temple Mount, basically saying to the Muslims, we're going to put these rocks on top of that hill one day. And then as John described the Antichrist and named him, as we get the title, the Antichrist, it only comes from John, but in 1 John 2, 18, little children, the last, it is the last hour, and you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. We get a lot of description in Revelation 13, 1 through 8. I would encourage you to read that for yourself. It talks about the dragon, Satan, empowering the beast, the Antichrist, and the power that he gives him, and the signs and wonders that will be done, and the deception of the people. And so there's a lot given to us, but there's still a mystery surrounding it. There's a mystery. But we also see here that 
the mystery of the lawless one is already at work. It was already at work then. It's already at work now. It continues to work to this day. That the spirit of the Antichrist, John said in 1 John 4, 3, which you have heard was coming is already in the world. And so that spirit that's been battling against the Lord, Satan, been set in opposition against the Lord since his fall. Where in Isaiah 14, we get the five I wills of Satan. And you can look at that for yourselves if you want to note it down. It's Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 17. But Satan, in his five I wills, he said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. The five I wills of Satan. But God said to Satan, you will be brought down to shield. And the world will gaze at this man and say, is this the man who made the earth tremble? One day Satan, the mask will be taken off. Right now he's a deceptive force in the world. Many are attracted to him. Many fear him. One day they'll see him when God has stripped his power from him. And they'll look at him and say, you got to be kidding me. This made the world tremble? So the mystery of the lawless one is already at work, and only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, verse 8, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. As we're getting the details of this lawless one, the Antichrist that can drive fear into people, Paul says, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me tell you something. When he comes, the Lord's going to consume him and destroy him. That's why Paul wrote that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. The battle's already been waged there at the cross. The victory's already been won through Jesus Christ and his work there. And so we are more than conquerors. And before we get into any more details of the Antichrist, Paul wants to let us know that he's going to be consumed by the breath of the Lord's mouth He's going to be destroyed by the brightness of his coming. In Isaiah 11:4, which speaks about prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus, it says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. So the very breathing of the glorified Jesus will slay the lawless one like the blast of a fiery furnace, which Paul referred to in our text. But the Antichrist will also be destroyed by the brightness of the Lord's coming. And here in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8, he said, In a flame of fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in Revelation 1.16, it says, Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. John saw the glorified Lord once on the mountain of transfiguration, and then once there in the Revelation, he saw the glorified Lord and tried to describe him for us. The ruler of this world, the Antichrist, the man of sin, the lawless one, the son of perdition, he will wreak havoc upon this earth, but it's Jesus Christ who will be victorious. And the victory is found in Jesus. 
In verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. It's according to the working of Satan, which means that Satan will possess this coming man. Daniel wrote about this, as we read in Daniel 9, 26 and 27. The prince of the people who is to come shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. In Revelation 13, 4, it says they will worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they will worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And in the Revelation, we learn that this beast, this coming Antichrist, will apparently be killed and resurrected back to life. Scripture tells us that he will be wounded, but then life will come back to him. And so he will not only be looked at as a political leader in this earth, but also as a spiritual leader in this earth. That there'll be something supernatural about him, but the supernatural that will be about him, we learn here in Scripture, will be all that of Satan filling his life and his heart. He will appear to the world to be a man of peace. But as Daniel tells us, three and a half years, he'll break the covenant and he'll show himself for who he truly is. And at that time, he will set up that you won't be able to buy or sell without the mark. Now, we know the number of man is 666, the mark of the beast. And, and for years, it's perhaps been viewed as this tattoo or this tattoo is either on your right hand or on your forehead that would be there. But now we know that technology has actually come to the place to where this is quite possible that every man, every woman could receive the mark. The choice will be during that day, either do this or die. And many will die during that day. He'll show himself for who he truly is at one point. That day has not come upon us, but we see that the technology is fastly coming upon us. In verse 10, it says, And with all unrighteousness or unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So the deception of the Antichrist will be only upon those who did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. To the unbelieving population of the world, as I said, this lawless one, this son of perdition, this Antichrist, this man of sin, will seem like the savior of the world. But we learn here that they have been deceived because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And in verse 11 and 12, he says, For this reason God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so the strong delusion that comes from God upon the people during this time, it seals their fate. Book of Revelation tells us that everyone who takes the mark of the beast, either on his hand or on his forehead, will have no opportunity for salvation. It is a sealing of their fate. But Paul gives us two reasons why here. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Because they did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's not that God is a bad guy. God has laid out the truth. He has given us his word. He has sent his son. The message of the gospel is there for all the world to hear. But when they hear it, they reject it. When they reject it, there's no possibility for salvation. 
Jesus explained it this way to Nicodemus on the night that Nicodemus came to him. In John 3.19, he says, This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. The condemnation. Light has come into the world, but the world loves darkness rather than light. They've rejected the truth. And the writer of Hebrews warns us and says in Hebrews 3.12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Referring back to a time when Israel was brought out of Egypt, but they hardened their hearts against the Lord, rebelled against the Lord, and many died. They sealed their fate because they rebelled and hardened their heart against the Lord. And those who hardened their heart against the truth of the message of the gospel, there is that sealing of their fate. Now, I believe that while we are living, there is an opportunity for salvation. But I also ponder and wonder if an individual rejects Christ enough during his lifetime or during her lifetime that there is a point where the Lord says, all right, that's enough. And the Holy Spirit no longer is with him, drawing him to Christ, trying to expose him to the truth of the message, but removes himself from him. I was struggling with sin early on as a teenager in my life, and I was grieving the Holy Spirit, and he was working in my heart in such a way that he was wanting me to confess it, to give it over to him, and he was offering me victory, and I didn't take the victory. And I truly felt that the Lord said, all right, you're on your own. If you want to do it in the flesh, you want to do it on your own, then you're on your own. And I believe my heart was hardened that day, and I didn't like that feeling. I'd never want to have it again. And that area wasn't in regards to salvation, but it will happen to those who are being wooed by the Holy Spirit, those who have been given the truth of the gospel as they continue to reject it, continue to reject it, and continue to reject. Finally, the Spirit of God will remove themselves from it and say, okay, you have sealed your fate and destruction then will come upon you. Those who are cast into the lake of fire, it says in Revelation, they are cast into the lake of fire, the lake that was prepared for the devil and his followers. But get it, the lake was prepared for the devil, I believe, first and foremost. But then those who follow. God has offered life, and he's given us a choice. It is my prayer that you make that choice. There are some who believe that this strong delusion is for those who hear the message of the gospel, the rapture of the church takes place, they find themselves in the seven years of tribulation. There are some who believe that they'll have no opportunity for salvation. And so this kind of blows out the whole left behind novels because that's where a lot of those guys is, oh, we missed it, we better get saved now. But what if they're wrong? And what if those who believe that this is the sealing of their fate, if you don't believe in Christ now, 
and the rapture of the church happens, there was one, Pastor Chuck was talking to a man, and the man says that when that happens, I'll believe in Christ then. And Chuck came back to him and said something that I thought was pretty wise and timely. He says, if you can't live for Christ now, why do you think you'll be able to die for him then? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make that opportunity. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So I pray that each one of you have made that choice. Perhaps the Lord has been dealing in your heart as a believer. You've been grieving the Holy Spirit as I was as a teenager, and he's been offering you victory. You've been unwilling to accept the victory that the Holy Spirit's been offering to you. Perhaps today the Lord wants to give you that victory in your life. Not that you're not saved, but the Lord knows that he has so much more for you, and you know it too. But you're choosing to live in the flesh instead of to walk in the Spirit. Whatever the Lord is working in your heart, we pray, Father, that you would work now. If you'd prick our heart, Lord, I pray that we lift it up toward you. And Lord, we just want to give you opportunity now before we close to work in our hearts this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.